all, let me give you a report. Thank you for your prayers for my daughter. She still has not had the baby, so she's, I think, nine or ten days overdue. But she did break her water last night, or her water broke. She broke it. And um, so she is in the hospital, and we're hoping and praying. If you would, just pray that she could deliver this baby naturally. So little Tom has to enter into this world. So, no, that's not probably going to happen. So, But I still holding out a, a prayer and a hope. Anyway, I want to welcome you and invite you to turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of Genesis chapter 24. If you don't have a Bible, our ushers have plenty of extras and we'd be glad to give you a Bible, so feel free to take one and we want to welcome you to the service. We're reading from the book of Genesis. This was a great week, as Janet said, with our kids and the missions trip coming, lots of good things happening. God's at work in our church. And we want to talk this morning about God's providence and the way he leads in our lives and how, even though you can't see him, the Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. And, and we begin to recognize how God is orchestrating the events in our lives to unfold his will. But I want to start by kind of getting our bearings on where we are. We always talk about our, our mission, our vision. Because it's really important as Christians to keep in front of us, like a GPS, what, our, what, what we're here for. When God saves us, he doesn't take us right home to heaven, but nor does he just go, here's your free get out of hell card, and then you just go live your life for yourself. So Jesus said, go and preach the gospel to all the nations. So the first thing that, that our vision and mission is, is to advance the gospel. And as individuals during the week and on Sunday mornings, we, we, we want to extend opportunities for people to come to know Jesus, to, to come to Christ and to be saved. And if you're not saved yet, that's God's goal for you. His calling is to invite you to salvation. But once you become a Christian, your sins are forgiven, and then you begin your journey of following him. But our vision and our mission is based on the words of Jesus. He said, go and make disciples. And we've said over and over again, a disciple is a follower of Christ. It's a believer who now is not living for themselves, but living for Christ. And as we're growing in that, the first thing that God wants you to do, if you've become a, a, a follower and a forgiven follower, you want to get baptized. Jesus said, go and make disciples, baptize them. But then we spend our lives, the Bible says, teaching them how to obey. And so we're making disciples who make disciples. And so if you're new here, we welcome you to get involved, to get in a small group, get in some sort of a growth group where you can study the Bible with men or women or couples or young adults or teens, but we all are in this journey together, but part of the, the journey is to kind of get a perspective, what is God doing in my life? What's his purpose for me? And so we left off last two weeks ago in verse 27. I want you to look with me there, then we'll pray. When Abraham sent his master or his servant to find a wife for Isaac, the servant said in verse 27, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abram, who has not forsaken his loving kindness and his truth toward my master. As for me, now look at this phrase, the Lord has guided me in the way to the house of my master's brother. I want you to, to think about that phrase. The Lord has guided me. An old gospel hymn called, All the way my Savior leads me. And it ends like this. Jesus led me all the way. And so as we look at this passage this morning, I want to talk about the, the providential leading of God in our lives. So let's pray together and then we'll look at this. Father, as we read the Bible together, I know the Holy Spirit has something 
for the church, for the body of Christ, as we feed and grow, as we are reproved, as we're encouraged, as we're taught. May your word powerfully work in our hearts to help us to grow strong in the faith and then to reach out and allow the Holy Spirit to change us and through us to change others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, let's keep the big picture in mind. The book of Genesis, creation. God creates this beautiful, perfect world. But then we have the fall, and that explains this world is messed up. We're we're under God's condemnation. Everybody's born away from God. Everybody's born deserving hell. And so we go through life in rebellion against God. And it would have been perfectly just for God to say, hey, I'll have none of this and wipe out the earth. But God, in his compassion and his mercy, he allowed us to see the corruption of sin. So Cain killed Abel, and he had to flood the earth. But at the end of the day, it's really God's desire to save people. God is a God who loves people, and he loves to bless the earth. And so he, he planned from the beginning to elect Abram. And so the rest of the book of Genesis, 12 through 50, is the call of Abraham and the creation of this nation that would bless the world. So God says to Abraham, Listen, I've chosen you and one of your seed, which will be Christ, and through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And that's where we are now, thousands of years later. We're we're coming to Christ, and we're blessed because of God's plan to bring salvation to this world. But it's not automatic. And so when I talk about God's guidance, I want to start with an illustration. Jesus used a lot of agricultural illustrations, and one of them was from, from oxen. And you've heard me tell this, some of you, but back then, training an ox to plow was not an easy thing because a wild ox, it doesn't just naturally go, okay, let me just walk in a straight line and just do that back and forth for hours on end. So the way they would train them is they would take a larger, older ox who knew the drill and knew how to, to walk the, the, the trail, and then they would yoke him, with, you've seen those big wooden yokes, to a young ox, and that young ox was in training. He was smaller and he was younger. And you can imagine when when that wooden yoke first came on that that ox's neck, he's like, I don't like this. And hey, I want to have some, I want to eat, I want to eat some hay right now, or 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 I want to go this way. But meanwhile, big old steady Eddie's just plowing along. And so he's sort of, you know, like dragging, getting dragged along. But eventually they learn, hey, you know what? If I if I stay beside the big guy and I walk alongside of him, it's, it's not quite as much of a burden. And, and, and actually, we can get this done. So Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And he says, and I'll give you rest for your soul. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to take my yoke upon you and learn from me. So Christ is calling us as disciples to submit to him, to say, okay, my job is to stay with Jesus, to, to go where he's leading me to go, to follow him. And sometimes he takes us places that we don't necessarily want to go. But then he said this. He says, but my yoke is easy and my burden is light, and you'll find rest for your souls. And we all know the experience of going, I don't want to do what God wants. How's that working for you? You know, you're, 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 you're getting dragged along. So when I talk about God's guidance here, What I want you to see is that God's guidance is particularly favorable in the lives of those who are surrendered to him. So if you're still struggling with whether you want to surrender to God, it's going to be a tough road. If you're a believer, you know, God's not going to go, oh, well, I'll make an exception for you. 
the psalmist said, don't be like a horse or mule that needs a bridle. Don't make God drag you along, but let him lead you. And so Abram knew what his mission was, and that was to, to establish a nation that would, would then be God-fearing people who would bless the earth. And so he's got his son Isaac, and his son Isaac's about 38, 39 years old, and he needs to find a wife for him. So he says, I don't want him to marry a Canaanite. Because remember, God had cursed the Canaanites for their wickedness. He said, I want him to marry a Semite. I want him to marry a descendant of Shem. And so he asked his servant, he said, you've got to promise me that you'll go back to Mesopotamia and find a wife. And so this believing servant, it was probably Eliezer, he went. Remember, he comes to the well, and he says, God, please show me who it is. And whichever woman comes, and Rebecca comes out, he gives her gifts, and he then says, wow, God led us. But let's pick up in verse 28. So they're at the well, and it says, Then the girl ran and told her master's household about all these things. Now, Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban. And Laban ran outside to the man at the spring. Now, look at verse 30 carefully. It came about when he saw the ring, or maybe today we say he saw the bling, because he saw the gold. Now, notice, when he saw the gold, he burst forth jubilantly. He says, this is what the man did to me. And he went to the man and he says, come in, blessed of the Lord. Now, as I was reading Bruce Walker's commentary here, he said, I think what we know about Laban is that we ought not to confuse Laban's character with Rebecca's character. Remember, Rebecca, just out of the, the, the work of God in her heart, just was hospitable. She, she watered the man's stuff. She didn't know who he was. She didn't know if he had possessions. She didn't have any vested interest. But Laban, knowing what a conniving man he is from later in the book, he saw the gold, and suddenly he's fallen all over. And it's just a reminder, one of the things that the Bible often tells us is to beware of this temptation to love money. In fact, Jesus said, a man's life doesn't consist of his possessions. And so living in our American culture, there's the American dream, and there's this huge, enormous opportunity for any one of us to get rich. And there's nothing wrong with being rich. In fact, 1 Timothy 6 says, if you are rich, instruct those who are rich to be generous and ready share and, 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 and blessing other saints. But, but what the Bible also teaches is this, is don't make it your goal. Don't make it your passion. Don't make it your ambition to get rich. For Paul said this, and especially I want to remind you young people, it says, those Christians who desire to get rich, that's their passion, got to get rich. It says, will plunge themselves into many harmful snares. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And those who long for it often wander away from the faith and are pierced with many a pang. And so let's just remind ourselves as Christians that at the end of the day, it's not about getting stuff. And so in the New Testament, even in leadership, it says, Leaders are not to be lovers of money. So just, just let's watch and check our hearts and, and not be flattering and favorable and partial towards money and trying to get stuff. But anyway, he invites Laban in, or he invites the servant in, verse 32. The man enters the house, Laban unloaded the camels, gave straw and feed to the camels, water to wash his feet, and the feet of the men who were with him. But when food was set before him to eat, he said, I will not eat until I have told my business. And he said, speak on. 
Let me stop and think about this for a minute. This guy, 42, one commentary, this might have been a several-year journey. So Abraham didn't say, hey, go next door and find a wife. This could have been possibly a year, and this guy's been traveling through the wilderness with 10 camels and his servants. He probably didn't get a lot of time to sit down at Chick-fil-A or maybe to go to the T-Bone Steakhouse. So all of a sudden, set before him is this enormous banquet. And, and they said, come on, let's eat and we'll talk later. He goes, no. He goes, I want to I, I wanna, I wanna settle the matter first. And I just want to take a moment to, to, to reflect on this idea of self-control and the priority of spiritual things over material things. When I read this, it reminded me of the words of Jesus. Remember in John chapter 4, when Jesus is winning the Samaritans to Christ and the disciples are like, Jesus, take some food. And Jesus says, no, no, he says, listen, my food is to do the will of God. And, and in American culture, we're so inundated with food. The Apostle Paul said, I buffet my body and make it my slave. But, but we translate it, I buffet my body, <laughs> Right? So, so I want to challenge you to consider even the discipline. Remind yourself. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In fact, even Job, who lived thousands of years ago, he said this, I have esteemed the word of God more than my necessary food. So, so if you find yourself, you know, like, man, if I don't have my coffee, I'll kill. Or if I have to have my chocolate or anything like that, I want to encourage you to consider the value of prayer and self-discipline. The Apostle Paul said, I buffet my body and make it my slave. Lest after I preach to others, I, I become a castaway. In fact, someone once said it like this, our body's either going to be a good servant or a bad master. So I want to throw out a challenge to, to our congregation. If you've never tried fasting, I'm not talking about you know, fasting for three days, but even something as simple as this, to say, you know, sometime this week I'm going to skip a meal and I'm going to really devote myself to prayer and spending time with the Lord. It's a wonderful experience to, to seek the Lord and sometimes to put spiritual matters ahead, ahead of the, the things of this earth. So think about this guy's test. This is no easy test. I've got to go to a foreign land to meet a bunch of people I've never met. And I've got to persuade someone to give his daughter to me to take her back to a land that he knows very little about and doesn't even know if they'll ever see his daughter again. So it's not like they're trading cards. He's got to persuade this man to give his wife or give his daughter away. And so look at the prudence with which the servant conducted himself. So he says, no, I got business to take care of first. So let's look at what he says. Verse 34, I'm Abraham's servant, and the Lord has greatly blessed my master. So that he has become rich. He has given him flocks, herds, silver, gold, servants, maids, camels, and donkeys. Now they knew who Abraham was because he's a relative. Hey, I just want to give you an update on Abraham. He's really, God's hand is upon him. And then he says, now Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master in her old age. Now don't miss this phrase. Oh, and by the way. He has given him all that he had, okay? So, so he's building the case. Abram is so blessed, but he has this son, and he has given him all. So, so this son of his is the heir of all that Abram has. Verse 37, 
And my master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my sons from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I live. And, and all of us who are Christian parents, you know how passionate we are that our kids marry believers. And you young people, when, when, you're, when your parents are saying to you, listen, don't date unbelievers. You know, it's not like we're a bunch of old fogies who don't get it. You know, all the Christians are nerds. The only cool people are the ones that are, are not Christian. We love you and we want you to, you will understand as you get older how valuable, how significant, how important it is to become united to another believer. And don't give up praying. If, if those of you, a number of you are married to unbelievers, don't give up. But if you have an opportunity, do all that you can to, to influence those around you to marry within the Christian faith. So, he says in verse 39, suppose the woman doesn't follow me. And he said, the Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you to make your journey successful. And you will take a wife for my son, for my relatives and from my father's house. And then you'll be free from my oath when you come. And if they don't give her to you, you'll be free from my oath. But when you think about Abraham's faith, the servant's just being pragmatic. He goes, all right, dude, you're going to send me like hundreds of miles to find a wife. And I'm going to show up and meet one of your distant kinfolk and just ask them to give. How do you? And Abraham's listening. The Lord before whom I walk, he'll send his angel. And what I want you to think about is, is a sense of spiritual confidence. Right? He said, the Lord before whom I walk. And I want to encourage you to think about this. That if you're not walking with God, if you're not surrendered to the Lord, if you're not trying to do God's will, then it's a little bit presumptuous to just go, oh, God's going to take care of it. But there's a confidence that comes to believers as you begin to surrender your life and walk with God. As you start to see, hey, my God is faithful. God's hand is in my life. I can trust him. Job said it this way. Isn't the fear of God your confidence? The integrity of your ways, your hope. In fact, David had, he was very bold about this because David knew that he walked with God. He knew that when he prayed, it mattered. He said in Psalm 4, the Lord sets apart the godly man for himself. The Lord will hear me when I call to him. The apostles picked up on this, the apostle John. He said, this is the confidence that we have before him when we pray, when we keep his commandments. And we're doing the things that are pleasing to him. So I want to encourage you to be yielded to the Lord, to, to walk in faith like Abraham does, to say, Lord, I want to live my life for you. Because as you do that, you become more confident in God's promises. You become more expectant. You become more trusting that God is going to take care of you. And you see his hand begin to accumulate a record of faithfulness to his promises. And so Abraham was very confident. God's going to send his angel. He'll take care of it. So the servant says in verse 42, hey, I came to the spring and I prayed. I said, Lord, the God of Abraham, if you'll make my journey on which I go successful, behold, I'm standing by the spring. May it be that the maiden who comes out to draw and to whom I say, please let me drink a little water. And she'll say, drink and I'll water your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed. Now, I did some reading on that this week. Earlier in the chapter, it said he had 10 camels. You know how much a camel drinks when, when they get to the well? 25 gallons, right? So you do the math. God goes, Lord, whichever woman says, I'll water your camels, right? You think that might have narrowed down the offers, right? 
you know how long that would take to give 10 camels 25 gallons each? So a number of the, the writers on this passage talked about, about Rebecca's industriousness. And I just want to take a moment to think about that, that, that this is a virtue. Ladies, if, if you've ever read Proverbs 31, and guys, you know, when, when we're young, we're all about, oh, man, you got to find a good-looking wife. You know, she's hot. You know, got a picture, right? But then you start growing, and you, you read the book of Proverbs. It says, charm is deceitful. Beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord, a godly woman, she's what you want. And part of godliness is industriousness. And as you read Proverbs 31, this woman was, was a hard worker. It's such a blessing. I'm so thankful. My wife is very industrious. I'm grateful for that. I used to tell the ladies when we were younger, when I would teach Bible studies, I said, look, it says in Proverbs 31 that she rises early to give food to her maidens. That means, girls, you should get up and make your husband breakfast. And the lady said, one of the ladies in the class, she said, yeah, but it says she's giving food to her maidens. So if my husband hires me maidens, I'll get up and make them breakfast. There's always a loophole, right? But, 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 but here's the thing. The Bible does talk about being industrious, and that's virtuous. There's, there's a, a work ethic there. And so praise God that, that Rebecca, and, and, and I wonder, you know, because as you read later, she didn't grow up in a Christian home. Laban and his family were pagans. We know that, right? And yet Rebecca seems to have these virtues of hospitality, of generosity, of kindness, of industriousness. And obviously the hand of God was upon her. Verse 45, before I finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder. She went down to the spring. She said, please let me drink. And she lowered her jar and said, drink, and I'll water your camels also. I drank, and she watered the camels. Then I asked her and said, whose daughter are you? She said, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son. So immediately he goes, wow, this is one of Abram's relatives whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her wrist. But look at verse 48. And I bowed low, and I worshiped the Lord, and I blessed the God of my master Abraham, who has, now here it is again, who has guided me in the right way, to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. I want you to take something away, and this is something that struck me, and I try to do this. When you see the remarkable hand of God's providence, take the time to express your gratitude to God. This man, unashamedly, on more than one occasion in this chapter, literally just bowed down to just worship and give thanks to the Lord. And it reminded me, of an experience that I, I recently encountered as, as we've prayed so much. For years, I've prayed for my daughter. My wife and I prayed for Bethany and Kim to move up here. And night and day, Isaiah 60, remember I said, you who remind the Lord, give him no rest. We prayed and we prayed. And, and one day as, as, as we were praying together, I would ask my students to pray. I had an Ethiopian student, about 40 years old, and he has the gift of prophecy. And he came up to me afterward. He says, while you were praying, he says, the spirit of the Lord told me in just so clearly that your son-in-law will get this job. You can be sure of this. Now, of course, when the Bible talks about the gift of prophecy, it says the spirit of prophets is subject to prophets. Not everybody who says, God told me this, it's guaranteed to happen. And so we have to be very discerning. And a few weeks after that, I was praying over that. And I said, Lord, if this is really a prophetic assurance that, that you've heard my prayer, you just help me to be discerning on that. 
And that very day, I get a phone call from my daughter. I answer the phone. She's in Arizona. She says, Dad, Tim got the job. We're moving up. Same day, right? Literally, I wept. I hung up the phone. I fell to my knees. I said, Lord Jesus, I, I worship you. I, I praise him in my tears and, and joy. I'm so thankful. And, 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 and I'm overwhelmed. I said, I got to go tell somebody to celebrate. And I get up and I open the door of my office and I step out of the lobby. Now, school was over now. So this was after the students had gone. And, and walking into the lobby, as soon as I walk out there, is this Ethiopian guy. I don't even know what he's doing here. What are you doing here? He goes, I was in the library. And he said, I just came here to study, but something just overwhelmed me. Go and see Professor Allen. Why did I need to come see you? I said, I'll tell you why. And I hugged him <laughs> and we rejoiced in the Lord. But when you see God's hand, his mercy doing something wonderful, take the time, teach your children to get together and worship and bless the Lord. However, it's very important that we remember as Christians that we don't just do that when cool things like that happen. Because remember Job, when he lost everything? He lost his family, lost all of his possessions. And it's striking. I have this verse on my computer. It says, and when Job found out that his family had died, he said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And he worshiped. Anybody can worship and go, oh, God, you're so good when you win the jackpot. But Christians, because of what Christ has done for us, we can worship and bless the Lord all the time. So, verse 40. So he says, now, if you're going to deal kindly with me, let me know. And if not, let me turn to the left or the right. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, now, this is really interesting because, again, these guys are not believers, we know this from later on. We know that they were idolaters. But yet, they said, hey, the matter comes from the Lord. Now, see, in our culture, that, that, you know, when, when someone says the Lord, we sort of have a reference. But I want you to think about that culture. These are idolatrous cultures. They have hundreds of gods, right? They have all kinds of statues to this god and that god. And so for this master of Abram to come out of the land of Canaan and say, hey, we worship Yahweh. He's the living God. It's remarkable that, that these guys were like, well, this matter comes from Yahweh. I don't, I don't know that they're, they're saying here, oh, and he's the only God, but they're at least acknowledging, wow, this God of yours seems to have remarkably orchestrated these circumstances. How can we argue with his providence? Verse 51, behold, Rebekah's before you. Take her and go. Let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. And it came about when Abram's servant heard their words that he bowed himself to the ground before the Lord. And then he had to do something that sometimes the good old days, I just wish they were the case. You see, back then, when you, when, when you got married, it was an asset to have a daughter, not a liability. You didn't pay. People paid you. It was called the dowry, right? And, and so there would be this estimate of how much this girl's labor would be worth and, and her descendants that could be working on your farm. And so people paid you to take your daughter away and marry them. Oh, for the good old days. <laughs> so look, verse 53. 
He brought out articles of silver, articles of gold. It, 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 it's it's trick-or-treat. He's, he's opening a trunk of treasures, and he's, he's giving out garments. And he gave precious things to her brother and her mother. Then he and the men who were with him ate and drank and spent the night. And when they arose in the morning, he said, send me away to my master. Dun, 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 dun. As often in the Bible, suddenly you spin a little wrench in there. And, and Bruce Walkie really brings this out. So suddenly they say, hey, listen, whoa, you know, let's not get too excited here. Let's slow things down. Because when I first read this, I'm like, well, what's the big deal? But notice what they did. They said, verse 55, hey, let the girl stay with us a few days. Say 10. Afterward, she may go. Now you're like, well, that's no big deal. They're like, come on, let us, let us, you know, have a little shower for her and, you know, spend a few more days. But in the prudence of this servant, maybe he just sensed the character of, uh, of Jacob and Laban, or, or of Laban, but he, he, had, he wanted no parts of it. In fact, I think it was Alan Ross who said, he said, this guy didn't want to lose that dowry. He didn't want to see, see, see the deal switch, which remarkably, isn't that exactly what Laban did later? But he had no parts with this. He says, now we're not doing that. So notice, he says, don't delay me, verse 56, since the Lord has prospered away. Send me away that I may go to my master. Now, again, this was a done deal. The parents made the decision. The kids didn't make the decision. But notice, even here in their cleverness, they said, we will call the girl and consult her. Then they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? Think of this little phrase. I will go. You realize what this precious little young lady just said? I will go. I will leave everything familiar with me to go with this stranger to a land that I have never been, to meet a man that I've never seen on this month-long journey or months-long journey. This is remarkable, and in fact, it really reminds us of, of this tone in the Bible of pe people making this decision, I will go. Isn't that what happened to Abraham? God says, I want you to leave everything, your family, your home, everything, and you follow me. And Abraham says, I will go. Ruth, remember the story of Ruth and Naomi when, when Naomi says, just go back to your land, just, just go back to Moab, just go. And she says, no. She says, wherever you go, I'll go, and your God will be my God. And I wonder here if this isn't perhaps Rebecca's beginning initiation to become a follower of Yahweh, to, to put her faith and trust and then to start living it out. I will go. And ask yourself, you know, sometimes you grow up within the church, you grow up within the, 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 the game, and suddenly you have to ask yourself, have I ever responded? Jesus often said, come. Have you ever made that step of faith where you've turned your back on the world and said, I'll go. I'm going to follow Christ. And so what struck me here is this is going to be a long journey. And I can imagine she had long conversations with this, with this servant. Like, so tell me about Isaac. If it was in our culture, it would have gone something like this. So what's he look like? Is he tall? Does he have dark hair? And the servant would have been, he's really nice. He's got a great personality. Yeah, I know, but what's he look like? Oh, you know, he's really friendly, right? 
But I also expect and believe that he, he told her about the God of Abraham. So notice, verse 59, they sent away their sister Rebecca and her nurse with Abram's servant and his men, and they blessed Rebecca. And, they, and as they blessed her, they said two things that are really profound, two things that God had directly told Abraham. God told Abraham, you're going to have thousands and thousands of descendants. And he also told Abram, your descendants are going to possess the gates of their enemies. And notice, remarkably, when they blessed Rebekah, they said, may you, our sister, become thousands of ten thousands. And may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. Then Rebekah rose with her maids, and they mounted the camels, and they followed the man. Now, again, what we just read in a sentence was months and long conversation. But this is really cool. This is the, this is the love story. Where do I begin to tell this story? This is, this is the divine encounter of God's providence. This is really neat. It says, The servant took Rebekah and departed, and Isaac had come from going to Birla Hyroy, for he was living in the Negev. Now, interestingly, if you go back in the book of Genesis, Birla Hyroy was, was where Hagar met God. You remember? That's where Hagar said, El Roy, the God who sees. And, and so they named the well, Birla Hyroy, the God of the living one who sees me. And it's interesting. What, what, what was it that, that drew Isaac to live in this area, to be around this well of the living one? But one evening, it says in verse 63, Isaac went out to... Now, depending on what translation you have, this is a very strange word. Some Bibles say he went out to stroll. He went out to walk. The New American Standard says he went out to meditate. Bruce Walkie, who's a pretty good etymologist and did a lot of research, he says, man, this word is really difficult. We really don't know for sure what this word meant. But Isaac goes out in the field. Now, he didn't go out in the field every night going, wonder if I'll meet my wife tonight. He had no clue. He, he probably, this is, this is perhaps, according to one commentary, this is possibly three years before the servant ever comes back. The kid's like 40 years old now. He didn't go out there going, hope I'll see my wife. He went out in the field to meditate. But again, look at the providence of God that he would be out in that field. Verse 63, and he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, camels were coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel. And girls, you can relate to that. She said to the servant, who's that man? <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Who's that man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, he's my master. That's him. That's going to be your husband. You get married to him. Now, in the culture back then, the, the women did not wear veils all the time. They put on a veil for their ceremony of wedding. And so, so, so she took the veil and she covered herself. Right? And again, with our culture, we would be like, can you take that veil off for just a minute before we sign the paperwork? No, no, because it wasn't about what you looked like. It was about who you were as a person. And so verse 66 says, the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. And imagine, she's just standing there, and he's rehearsing the providence of God. It had, this has to be from God. This has to be your wife. Look at the way he's remarkably brought this woman to you. Verse 67, then Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent. And he took Rebecca, and she became his wife, and he loved her. Thus Isaac was comforted 
after his mother's death. He went, if only I got married like that. If only I met the perfect one of my dreams and it was so clear that this was from God. Hello? These two got dysfunctional. Remember later? I like Jacob. I like Esau. And all of the conflict they had. I just want to throw something out here. There's no such thing as a perfect marriage. A perfect marriage made in heaven. Even if it was made in heaven. All you get is the assembly parts and the instruction book. You still got to put it together here on earth. And so I want to encourage those of you that might be hitting some bumps in your marriage. You might be disillusioned and going, what did I get myself into? Or somebody going, why did I marry this person? God, you let me down. Why? Why? I didn't know they were going to be like this. Listen, God never promised us perfect, happy marriages. What he promised us is grace. And, and, and God never says, marry the one you love. But he says in the Bible, I want you to learn how to love the one you marry. And Satan's always gone, if only you had this spouse who had these qualities. One of the Ten Commandments, don't covet your neighbor's spouse. Be grateful for your spouse and work hard to learn how to love them. You can't be responsible for how they act, but you can be responsible for how you react. And so the New Testament teaches us over and over again, 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, love forgives, love isn't selfish. And I want to encourage you not to look at this verse and say, wow, if God put my marriage together, I'd have a wonderful. No, they didn't have a wonderful marriage. But it's not because God disappointed them. And so I wish I could promise you a happy marriage, but I can't promise you that. But I can promise you that God is with you if you're a Christian. And he will give you grace. And you can find your happiness in your relationship with Christ. But all we can do, and, and my wife, I'm so thankful for 33 years. We have a great marriage, but but but. You can ask her dear soul, do you guys have an easy marriage? Do you guys just click? No, we have to work and pray and depend on God. And I hope that, that those of you who, who are struggling will take courage and say, you know what? God's grace is here for us. Well, I want to wind down in, in the first part of chapter 25 because we have the transfer of the blessing. It's time for Abram to leave the stage and Isaac to become prominent. And so the, the author of Genesis skillfully transfers the blessing on Abram to Isaac. Let's look real quick at verse 1. Now, Abram took another wife. His name was Keturah. She bore to him Zimran, Joksim, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, Shua, Jokshan. He became the father of Sheba, Dedan. The sons of Dedan were Asherim, Lechem, Leman, Midian, were Ephah and Ephor and Hanuk and Abida and Elda. All these were the sons of Keturah. Now, notice verse 5, because I want you to think about this. We already heard this. Now, Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. Yeah, 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 we, we already said that. Abraham gave all that he had to his only son, who would be the heir of all the inheritance. You're going, huh, the only son, the heir of the inheritance. Why is that strange? Verse 6, but to the sons of the concubines, Abraham gave gifts while he was still living, and he sent them away. And these are all the years of Abram that he lived, 175 years, and Abram breathed his last. And I love this verse. Remember, we read it two weeks ago. Look at verse 8. And he died in a good, ripe, old age, an old man, satisfied with life. And he 
was gathered to his people, that this hope of the resurrection would just die and extinguish. He was gathered to his people. But here's the thing. Later on in the book, when Jacob was an old man, and I said this, and it bears repeating, Abraham died satisfied with life. When Jacob was an old man, Pharaoh said, tell me about your life. And he said, few and miserable have been the years of my life. And he goes, wait. You got one guy going, I died blessed and satisfied with life. And you got another guy going, my life is miserable. And he goes, is it just the luck of the draw? And I say, no. The reason Abraham's life was so blessed and he was satisfied is because Abraham made a choice. He chose by the Spirit's work in his life to walk with God by faith. He chose to trust in God's promises. He chose to obey God even when God asked him to do difficult things like sacrifice his son. And what a model we have here that God, as he's leading us, we have a man like Abraham. And Jesus wants you to be blessed. He wants, he wants to bless your life, but not for you. It's He blesses us so we can be a blessing to others. See, that's what we're here for. We're here to bless others. We're here to win people to Christ. We're here to disciple and encourage and help one another in the body of Christ. And every once in a while, God gives us remarkable acts of providence to remind us of his presence. I want to share one real quick. A couple weeks ago, I was at the gas station around here, and a lady who was working in the booth, she comes out, and she starts asking me questions about my car, and then she says, my car, and I'm looking, I said, oh, that needs to be painted. And so I said, let me call my buddy, and I said, uh, hey, this is Pastor Tom, and she goes, are you a pastor? And I said, yeah. She says, I've been reading the Bible, I can't understand it. Can you explain it to me? <laughs> Fine. I'm here to get gas, right? So I begin to explain the gospel to her, right? And she's just drinking every word in. And, and I said, well, why don't you come to church? She said, well, I, I almost never go to Sunday off. I said, well, here's my card. I said, um, you know, look it up online. She goes, I, I don't know how to use a computer. I can't look it up online. So she gets a piece of cardboard, and I scratch out directions. And listen, I've had this experience over and over again. Say, oh, yeah, I'll come to your church sometime, right? Last Sunday, in the middle of teaching, I look up and I go, who's this gas station lady, right? <laughs> and at the end, when I gave an invitation to accept Christ, she pops her hand out. She's looking me dead in the eye. And then she comes walking up to me after the service. And she says, you didn't think I would be here, but I'm here. And I says, well, did you really accept Christ? Do you get it? She goes, yes, I believe the Lord has forgiven me. And one of our members had already met her on the way into this parking lot. And if that wasn't providential enough, I got a call on Monday. One of our members says, hey, I was at the gas station. And this lady that I've been befriending for, for a long time said to me, I saw you in church on Sunday. She says, what? She goes, yeah, I was at your church. I was a few rows behind you. And so they engage and connected. This morning, someone says to me, Pastor Tom, couldn't be, but Friday I was at a gas station. <laughs> and this lady came out, and we started talking. And she said, where do you go to church? She goes, Bible Fellowship. She goes, that's where I went. That's Pastor Tom, right? I'm going, man, God's providential hand is on this woman. So I want you to pray for her. It's just a delight to say, God, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know where I'm going. The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. 
but the hand of the Lord is upon us as we yield to him. And so this morning, let's, let's, let's look at God's providence. Remember, God's at work. He began a good work in your life to make you like Christ. But this week, you'll have divine opportunities, divine appointments. Step back, even if you're in the midst of the cloud going, what is going on? Why am I having all these problems? God is at work in our lives. And the same God who led Abram, the same God who led the servant, the same God who led Isaac, is the same God who sent his son, the Lord Jesus. And this is yours and mine encouragement. It's not easy to follow Christ. And God doesn't promise us like Joel Osteen does that you're going to have this wonderful, blessed life with pleasures and happiness. In fact, he says, through many tribulations, you'll enter the kingdom of God. More people are dying now than they ever died for Christ in the past. So we don't have an easy future ahead of us in America. But what we do have is a living Lord Jesus. And don't forget this, that God the Father gave all the inheritance to Christ. And because you belong to Christ, the Bible says we are fellow heirs with Christ. I think we'd all like our daughter to marry a very, very rich boy, right? You're like, yeah, his dad's a millionaire, and he gave it all to him. You're like, well, you know, the Lord will use that as a stewardship. (laughs) But I can tell you this. God has given everything to Christ, and because we're heirs with Christ, we have a great, great future. Amen? But in the meantime, let's let God, let's yield to him and let his providence lead in our lives. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for the word of the Lord. And maybe one of you here today, has God has touched your heart, and just like Rebecca, you say, I want to follow Jesus. I've never trusted him to be my savior this morning, but I want to do that. While your head's bowed, if you would like to begin to follow Jesus (coughs) and you want to talk more about that, I'd like to pray for you. I want to ask you to raise your hand so I could pray for you. Is there anyone here this morning who say, I want to find out more about what it means to be a Christian and follow Jesus? Just raise your hand so I can pray for you and then I'd like to talk to you afterwards. Anyone at all? We had a young man this morning who's been here for a month, give his life to Christ. Father, I thank you. Thank you for everyone that's here today. And Lord, I thank you that you are skillfully weaving together your plan in our lives. Many of your children this morning are hurting and disillusioned. And it's wonderful to be reminded from Scripture that all things work together for good for those who love God. And Father, may at the end of our lives, as we just sang, as our strength is waning and the day draws near, may we look back And may we worship, and may we say, Jesus led us all the way. So, Father, send us forth today, because you have blessed us through Christ with every blessing, because we're heirs of the kingdom of God with Christ. Send us forth on a mission to bless the world. Send us out to our divine appointments where we can shine as lights, where we can help people, where we can build up the body of Christ, and where we can work together to prayerfully seek to bring the gospel to all the nations. And all of these things we pray for the glory of God in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to read next week, chapter 25, because we're going to talk about never sacrifice the permanent on the altar of the immediate. See you all, Lord willing, next week. God bless.